0: Hey, what's going on? It's at The Letters for Wednesday, November 10th. Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith, who is live on location in Carlsbad, California, at the GM meetings this week. Ben, thanks to take the time. I know it's busy down there. Maybe just describe to us the scene. Like, paint the picture for us. What's it like on the ground at the GM meetings? I mean, the GM meetings are are
1: definitely... I think my favorite compared to the winter meetings, it's a little more peaceful. You still have a lot of people here and these meetings didn't take place last year. So no one was able to go to these. No one was able to have these kind of conversations that, you know, usually it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. It's a lot of setting things up for later in the off season, but it's still an important period of time because you do need that information to make decisions, whether it's on trades or free agents. So it is an important period of time. And I sense that you know the people here, whether it's agents or executives from teams, even media members, I think people are glad to be back at them, especially with the likelihood that the winter meetings are probably going to be canceled this year. It is probably that one chance in the baseball calendar for people to get together. So in that sense, I, I think it's kind of the calm before the storm with the CBA stuff. It's at a really nice setting. Carlsbad, California is a beautiful spot. They picked a really nice hotel to have it at. And so there's a lot going on, but. As these things go, I mean, compared to how wild the winter meetings can be with kind of the media frenzy, the thousands of job seekers, it's relatively peaceful. And so far, there hasn't been a ton in the way of transactions, but I think that's to be expected at this time of year.
0: Yeah, and in a traditional off season, you would definitely see more transactional activity at the winter meetings than you would at the GM meetings. I think in this off season, you're not going to see anything until 2022, unfortunately. But like the GM meetings, typically, and I bet this is still the case this year, has been used just as a place to gather information and to have preliminary discussions because um i don't know that every front office in baseball operates this way i think most of them do and i know the blue jays do they like to get a sense of the market and they like to get a sense of what's available where the expectations of every free agent they might be interested in are at what what they would be open to what type of trade possibilities there are out there so it's just like a ton of due diligence that has to occur. And you could obviously do a lot of that via text message or phone calls when you're at the Rogers center. And then you can always hop on with people, but uh, it helps being there in person and being able to have like, a face-to-face meeting with, you know, a Scott Boris who is going to have like five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, players that might line up with the Blue Jays this winter. You can sit down and talk about each of those guys, just get a sense of where the opportunities and, and values might lie. The Blue Jays, I know, want all of that information before they do anything too substantial.
1: Totally. And, you know, I think that when we talk about opportunities or values or you know you hear that from a gm we're here to gather information we're, we're really pleased with the information we've gathered. i mean of course that sounds superficial it's kind of obscures what's actually happening but you know to go back to to the analogy we use a lot of the time last off season where you have this you're you're in a grocery store and you're trying to figure you out brought the, it back the you brought <laughs> <Yeah>. it back
0: <laughs> i, I back. think it holds up
1: even a even a year later i do think it holds up and so you know, if you're, if you're shopping, you can't just walk into your Loblaws blind. Like you have to have a sense of what the prices are. And so what's happening right now is all these GMs are walking around the superstore frantically trying to understand what the prices are for the various people that they are <laughs> thinking of paying substantial money for. So that's what's happening. And they have to do it. You can't just complete your shopping without knowing what the prices are. So that's what's happening. They are trying to determine that it takes time and so they're asking Scott Boris and Scott Boris like most agents doesn't spell this out explicitly at this time of year but they might say you know we're really trying to find you know a long-term fit for this client in other words we want to max out years or they might say you know this this guy he really would prefer to stay on the west coast and so that tells you that money isn't the only thing there and so that information you can't get when Carlos Correa is playing in a World Series game for the Houston Astros as he was last week. Can't do it. He's playing in the World Series. But now it's possible and all of that stuff is happening.
0: The other sort of yearly disclaimer that we have to put out at this uh, time of year annually is uh, that the Blue Jays are going to be interested in a lot of players. You're going to hear a lot of Blue Jays have expressed interest in, Blue Jays have checked in on, expect that. Let it roll off your back. Don't get too upset or too worried or too excited. Like don't feel any way about it because the Blue Jays are going to call just about every free agent. There's maybe one that they're not going to engage with, that I can think of off the top of my head. Perhaps a uh, diminutive right-hander who formerly (laughs) starred in Toronto. (laughs) Uh, But uh, aside from that, I bet you the Blue Jays going to check in on just about everyone. They're going to call every team that might be dealing players. They're going to call the Oakland Athletics, Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Guardians. Everybody's getting a call. So don't be surprised. I wonder if the difference this offseason, as opposed to ones prior, is that, The Blue Jays will, um, for lack of a better word, be used less. So there might be, like, I think in the past, a lot of the uh, speculation or rumors around the Blue Jays when they're involved with certain players, a lot of times that's just agencies coming out and saying, like, yeah, no, the Blue Jays checked in on this guy, which I'm sure is accurate. And they're just trying to drum up a market and build up a market for their client when maybe the Blue Jays aren't necessarily willing to bid to the absolute, like, high tier that it's going to take. The pay the top price it's going to take to acquire that player. I wonder if that's a little different this year, and I wonder if you you know a lot when when that 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 interest is is genuine. I just wonder if you know the the Blue Jays are just used a lot less. Yeah, I,
1: you know my sense is that that really could be the case because you know you you hear from from teams here, and a lot of the GMs to their credit are are relatively transparent with what it is that they're trying to do. So you hear from teams like Texas and Seattle and Detroit. They're willing to spend. They expect to spend. And then you've got the Yankees and the Red Sox. Those teams are giants every offseason. They tend to be very aggressive uh, spenders as well. So you've got a, a pretty strong market pending all the CBA stuff. Huge factor in this. But as we enter things, it really does seem like there are a lot of teams that are willing to be aggressive, which is great. That's a, a really good sign to see that happening industry-wide. And, and the Jays are one of those teams. Like The, the Jays are a team that... I think we'll be in on a lot of those top free agents and guys all the way toward the bottom of the market because they have a lot of different options at this point in the offseason.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good winter to be a free agent. Last winter, not so much. This winter, I think if you're a free agent, you're feeling good about the teams that say they're going to be spending and obviously have payroll to spend. And and a lot of the teams are kind of coming out of rebuilds and starting to get competitive. You think about the Seattle Mariners and you know you think about the Texas Rangers who, who might be adding some some payroll. I mean, Miami's looking to get better, probably not going to the payroll level that that a number of other teams are, but they've talked about wanting to add the Detroit Tigers, obviously as well. Like these aren't teams that have been big players. In recent years, so that's good news. If you're a free agent, um, the one sort of early move that we saw to this point was Andrew Heaney going to the Dodgers, $8.5 million on a one-year deal, pretty similar to the Robbie Ray transaction at this time last winter. First name off the board, pretty much same valuation, lefty with really good stuff. Obviously, Heaney doesn't have raised stuff, but he has real, like, legitimate major league pitches and has been able to get the most out of them. And look, if the Colorado Rockies had gone out and done this, I'd be like, hmm. But when the Dodgers do it, I'm like, okay, clearly. Andrew Heaney can be a lot better than yeah. he's been. Clearly, there's a lot of upside there and some very legitimate reason to believe that with some adjustments, some tweaks, he can uh, perform a lot better than he has in recent season. I trust I trust the Dodgers implicitly when they target a pitcher. What did you make of, of that move? And, and I kind of saw you uh, reporting that the Blue Jays had some interest there as well. Yeah, Jay's made an offer as
1: well. Um, he's interesting. Like you said, I mean, he's got a super high spin fastball and a lot of the homers he allowed were basically wall scrapers. It wouldn't have gone out of, of every park, but he was he was pitching in Yankee Stadium and, and didn't work out for him with the Yankees. But uh, a lot of teams had interest. Jay's were among them. And it, it is interesting because it also shows that even though the market for the for the big free agents, and I, I would include Semyon, I would include Ray in this, like I think it's gonna develop very slowly. I don't think those guys are signing until there's a new CBA. So I don't know, February 10th, something like that. But you know, on a smaller scale, for these smaller, medium scale deals, teams are willing to do them, which is a great sign and keeps things interesting. Here is the offseason unfolds in in the first couple of weeks of November and you know, I think we could see more deals like this. You know, on a smaller scale, for relievers, for bounce back players, for bench players, and certainly the trade market should be active too. But it's nice to to get those little indications of hey, this is how the market seems to be moving. And the Heaney deal is is kind of the one that kickstarts
0: everything right now. Yeah, and the Ray deal last year kickstarted a, a very mini little run. I think Smiley went, um, Charlie Morton went as well in in that little flurry there so we'll see if that continues right now it kind of looks like an isolated thing um you could throw wade miley into sort of the early offseason transactions here picked off waivers by the chicago cubs 10 million dollar club option which will obviously be exercised probably already has been exercised as we talk right now that was telling from a blue jays perspective in an interesting way when it comes to Steven Matz. Because at the time that that, that White Miley popped up on waivers, we were still kind of discussing, well, will Steven Matz get qualified? Will he not? I think you and I both sort of erred on the side of, no, Like you, you probably don't want to tie up $18 million in one year, Steven Matz, just considering your payroll right now, even if you like the player and the Blue Jays do like the player and they think there's more upside there but then you know Miley doesn't get traded with a 10 million dollar option and it's like okay well now clearly Steven Matz isn't getting qualified if that's where the value's going to lie I mean what did you make of Miley not even or I'm maybe there was trade interest and teams didn't like the price at all but you have to assume that you know they're 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 would have you know Cincinnati would have made a move for even just a lottery ticket prospect if they could have. What'd you make of there not being a trade for Wade Miley and then what that means for Stephen Matz's value and market and free agency. Yeah. I mean,
1: I agree with the way you kind of laid it out there. And you know, Miley, he's making 10 million. Is that the salary for I think it's a $10 2020? million
0: dollar club option off the top yeah. of my head, yeah.
1: So, so ten million, give or take, for Miley, and so he was claimed at that price, but no one traded for him. So that tells you the industry values him exactly at ten million dollars. And you know, if that's the case, then you know, there probably it, it, there probably will be opportunities for the Blue Jays to sign pitchers who are comparable for less, or sign pitchers that they like better for you know a little bit more. You know, and we've seen that in years past. Like last year's one year market included guys like a James Paxton or Corey Kluber. Obviously, Robbie Ray was in that market last year. So it's a deep class. And I think that the Jays are positioned to land a couple of guys. And they they remain involved on, on Stephen Matz. I think that there is a potential fit there. But from what I'm hearing here at the GM meetings, my impression is that Stephen Matz is going to have multi-year offers and potentially three-year offers for him to be choosing from. It sounds like he's very open to different geographical regions, American League, National League. He loves to hit. I mean, there's different ways this thing can unfold, and the Jays remain involved there. But it sounds like Mats is, is going to have a lot of choice there. And he has the same reps as, as Andrew Heaney. So this is clearly an agency that isn't hesitant to move quickly. And to get something done. So I wouldn't be stunned if Matt's is one of those guys who signs in the month of no- November.
0: Miley thing also almost reminded me a little bit of the Brad Hand situation last yep. offseason. Obviously, very different guys, reliever, starter. Obviously, Brad Hand's a bit of a tough name for Blue Jays fans, I understand. But at the time that he was on waivers last winter, very good left-handed reliever. And for much of 2021 as well, like really solid reliever just you know, at the trade deadline just imploded completely. But yeah, he ended up on waivers right around the same time last offseason, right around the same sort of club option situation. Like it was right around $10 million as well ended up passing through waivers. All like three all twenty-nine teams did not take a stab at him, and he ended up signing with the Nationals for like ten and a half million dollars, like essentially the the value of his club option. And I remember talking about it at the time, we were like, man, why did no one take Brad Hand? And I almost wonder if there is like just a bit of a reticence at this time of year for teams to do anything, even if it isn't that, you know, that substantial, like $10 million obviously is substantial, but in, you know, like the context of a $150, $160 million payroll, not so much, but I just wonder if there really is just a hesitancy for teams to tie up anything right now or to do anything like that right now um, and to just kind of wait and say, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how the market plays out are we really going to regret passing this up later on in the winter maybe but if we do then we really haven't done our job so I just think that like a lot of teams just there's a real reluctance to make maneuvers right now unless you really truly believe in, in the player you require
1: yeah exactly and and that's where like Heaney is someone that people the teams really liked and they they like the stuff they like what he can bring they're excited about that they're making offers but I, I, I do think like even for those of us who are on the outside looking in, right? Like, there's so much to take in. There are so many free agents that you're trying to take stock of, and you know there are also trade opportunities that you know you're trying to wrap your head around. And then there are minor league free agents, and there's you know the possibility of extensions and understanding what other teams are are motivated by, and what we're trying to understand from the outside is a fraction of what the GMs and assistant GMs and agents are trying to understand from within that market. And so, I just think that it takes time. We've seen this trend develop over the course of the last few off-seasons and it's not necessarily the most entertaining way for an off-season to unfold. I mean, it kind of drags and I think people still expect it to move quicker than it does and that can lead to disappointment. But the reality is these people tend to take their time and it tends to just go very, very slowly. And to your point, Regarding Miley and and this market where he fits into it, teams just haven't fully understood what the other options are. And so is that the guy that they jump for, Wade Miley at 33 or whatever, just
0: didn't seem to be the case? Yeah, it's just it's too early for teams. Like I think there are probably a bunch of front offices that don't even really know their final payroll number. Sure. at this point right and so adding 10 million dollars of wade miley that means one thing if your payroll is x and another if your payroll is y so like i think that you know it, it's just easy and especially at that level like we're not talking about a four or five win player here right we're still talking about like a, a good pitcher really solid veteran for the back end of your rotation a guy who makes a lot of teams better but there's there's going to be other options in that tier on the free agent market so you you know you can wait till you know exactly what your payroll is going to be you can wait until you know exactly how some of your internal options are progressing during the winter and, and you can wait to see how the market kind of plays out and, and what presents itself to you i just feel like teams and the blue jays especially really value that flexibility and that kind of nimbleness and not painting themselves into any corners so i think that's why you know early in the off season you're going to see sort of surprising names pass through waivers or not draw trade interest because uh as you alluded to, for for a collective group of front offices that all want to wait as long as possible and gather as much information as possible and delay, you know, <laughs> things as much as possible, it just it just comes up a, a little bit too early. And you know, I think the Jays, like, as their position right now, they have so many different
1: ways that they could go with this thing. And pitching is at the top of that list, but they also need to add an infielder, maybe two infielders. Like, they could add a second baseman and a third baseman. They need to add multiple starting pitchers, multiple relievers. You know, they could look at their bench and do some different things there and they're looking at trades too. So it's almost like, you know, they have so many things and these are all in play. And whether you're talking about guys at the very top of the market, like a Marcus Semyon, Robbie Ray, Corey Seager, potentially these are players that the Blue Jays like and will have conversations about, but that takes time too. And Along with that, there are some high-end trades that they can explore. And there's just a lot of things on the table for the Blue Jays. I I think that they've clearly got their plan A. They've got their plan B, their plan C. They'll walk through each one of those as the offseason unfolds and and try to get the best outcome possible. But, you know, unlike some teams where it's like, okay, they need a catcher and some bullpen help, the Jays have so many ways that they can do things. That's by design. They like having that. But it doesn't lead to this very simple off season where you just say okay we're going to sign like the best catcher we can two relievers call it a day like it's just there's so much more in play
0: yes it's so much more to uh, talk about after the break we'll talk trades we'll talk about what the blue jays might be looking to do over the back half of the week at the gm meetings all that and so much more we continue on at the letters It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson Smith, who is at the GM meetings in California as we speak. It's Wednesday, November 10th. It's a busy time and not a busy time in baseball, if you know what I mean. Like It's not a busy time if you want like finality uh, and actual transactions and (laughs) actual maneuvers. But it's a busy time behind the scenes in terms of discussions and laying things out and assistant GMs talking to other assistant GMs and then coming away from those conversations to furiously type out notes and reports and input all of that into the internal database and the system like every team has an internal system where they accumulate all of the information they've acquired and all the discussions interactions that they've had uh for the blue jays i think it's called the beast or they might change it to the blue beast something like that ben you might know I don't know what it, it was at one point in uh, tribute to Paul Beeston, of course, the longtime yeah. president. Um, but I'm not sure what it's called now. I mean, maybe it's still called the Blue Beast. I feel like, yeah, they, they changed it to the Big Blue Beast or something, something along those lines. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But like they've, you know, every front office execs got like the app on their phone. And so, you know, those things are being kind of updated and populated and and you're kind of generating, you know, you're formulating your strategy. As you go, as you get more information. So two teams that I think the Blue Jays, uh, I'm sure they've been talking to. I wrote three weeks ago that these are two teams the Blue Jays need to be talking to a lot. Are the Oakland Athletics and the Cincinnati Reds. And it was pretty easy to read the tea leaves at that, that time. That these are two clubs that have very crowded arbitration classes. Um, and like like all-star arbitration classes when you look at like oakland and some of the names that they have eligible so you've got increases there in salary and those are clubs that have also been looking to shed payroll recently and lo and behold here they are at the gm meetings making some news saying yep you know we've got players that will listen on we have to make moves so you look at the oakland athletics at the time when I wrote about them, I I said Sean Manaya would be your your top target. And then you could look at Chris Bassett or a Frankie Montes. I don't think that's really changed at all. I think those would be great targets for the Blue Jays as they look to acquire some pitching when you look at the Reds. Louis Castillo is like the obvious name. I mean, he, he was talked about last offseason. I'm sure he's being talked about as we speak. But you've also got guys like Tyler Malley and Sonny Gray, who you know you could look to take off of their hands. Maybe there's some way that Mike Moustakis ends up in a trade and he ends up, you know, coming to to play infield for you. There's quite a bit of money on his deal, but maybe that lessens the prospect cost that it would take in, in a trade if you were also acquiring a, a Castillo or or a or a Gray or or what have you. So I mean, I just think there's a lot of opportunities there. And and Ben, you were kind of identifying Cleveland as another team that that the Blue Jays might want to look to talk to. I mean, what, you know, what what leads you down that path because I haven't heard their names come up too often this this winter.
1: For sure. Well, I mean, a lot there. Let's let's dial it back first. I mean, to the to the front office stuff. It's interesting here because the Jays, it's really noteworthy. They have quite a large front office. And so, you know, in comparison to some of these other teams like the Angels for instance, where you have a couple former Jays execs, but you know the contrast there in front office size is, is pretty noteworthy. So from an information entry standpoint, from an information gathering standpoint, what the Blue Jays are attempting to do, there's no right way or wrong way here, but what the Jays are attempting to do is much more sophisticated, kind of more complicated than what some of these other teams are trying to do. So again, that could slow things down. Now, I, I totally agree with you on the athletics and on the Reds, and I think that those you know, teams... As the offseason has unfolded since you wrote that, I think we're seeing that those teams are, are extremely open to dealing. And, you know, I was I was able to talk to David Forst, the Oakland GM, yesterday, and asked him, you know, what's the willingness to, to trade some of your players? And his, his response is, we're open to any conversation right now. We have to be. Knowing the cycle that we've gone through after three or four years of competing, I think we have to be open to whatever other teams are asking about. Which basically, to me, that's GM speak for, look, like, we're open for business. We are willing to deal right here and right now. And, and you know, that's good for the Blue Jays in a sense because guys like Manaya and Bassett, Montas, I mean, that could be super interesting for a starting rotation. I think there's another side of this, too, where, like, the New York Yankees could be asking about Matt Wilson. And other teams are going to try to poach this talent off of the Oakland roster. And so as much as it's a good thing for the Blue Jays, they also have to be a little wary of what's going to happen with some of their division rivals because it's so clear that the Athletics, the Reds, these teams are open for business.
0: Yeah, and but I just think that for the Blue Jays, like it's so important to make a trade this offseason. Like I really do think it's a lever they're going to have to pull. You just look at where they're at right now with with young players starting to get expensive. You need to start thinking about whether you're going to extend a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, or a Bo Bichette. You've already got a mega contract with George Springer on the books and $40 million left for Hanjin, Ryu. Um, you got money to spend, certainly. And I think the Blue Jays can swallow another mega contract for a position player, likely, when you just kind of look at this market, But I think that their payroll would be a lot more efficient if it was a Mania or a Castillo or a Montes filling one of those rotation holes rather than what's 30, 35, 36 million dollars for Max Scherzer. You know, rather than, I don't know, Rodon or Rodriguez or one of these guys who are going to cost you a bunch of money. Like, if you can make a deal for a player who's still going through arbitration and whose earning power is suppressed via that process, you can get some pretty good production from a player who's not going to cost you as much and kind of deploy that payroll to other areas of the roster, whether that is obviously the one or two infielders that, that the Blue Jays are going to need to acquire, whether that's going out and getting a, an outfielder, because maybe you're trading Alourdes Gurriel Jr. or Randall Gritchick in, in one of these maneuvers. Um, maybe it's getting a catcher because an Alejandro Kirk's going out the door in, in one of these trades. Or maybe you're making a more aggressive bullpen ad in free agency than we've seen from this club in recent years, because you look at missing the postseason by one game in 2021, it's pretty easy to point to bullpen struggles early in the season for why that happens. So I think that just if you want to use your money in the most efficient way possible, it makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays to go look to trade for a controllable starting pitcher.
1: 100%. I mean, if that's something you can do, then that's that's a great move, you know, and adding Barrios is a start on that front, but you always want more of that. And the Jays are in a good position. Like it's even interesting cuz you know, we're so in the the Blue Jays bubble, um, especially in the last couple of years, because you know we've we've physically been in Toronto more and removed from the broader landscape of Major League Baseball uh, a little bit more than usual. And you know, being here and hearing from some of these smaller market GMs, like, man, they are striking a different tone. Like, to, to hear, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, David Forrest talk or, you know, Nick Kroll of the Reds or or Chris Antonetti of Cleveland uh, of the Guardians, who I, I also spoke to yesterday, like, they're talking like, yeah, we got to be open to trading our best players. We have to be open to anything. You know, Chris Antonetti asked about payroll yesterday. It's like, yeah, we got some stuff that we can do. You know, we we can, you know, we can probably add here and there. But it's so different than the way the Blue Jays talk about free agency, where it's like when we had Ross Atkins on the podcast last week. I mean, he's talking as though they can add some of the best players, not all of them at once, but they can be in on those best players in a way that these small market teams can. And so, you know, you mentioned Cleveland before. And I think, you know, again, hearing from Antonetti, okay, what is Cleveland trying to do this offseason? Well, he mentions catching. He mentions they have a lot of infielders they like. Both at the major league and minor league level, so potentially outfield. And, you know, I asked him directly about Jose Ramirez and, and would they move Jose Ramirez? And, and of course, he talks about how much he loves Jose Ramirez and how great he's been on and off the field for that organization. But then he says, we also have to listen, we have to be open to this. And so, you know, my mind starts thinking, what would that look like? And okay, they need catching. Blue Jays have Jansen and Kirk, like that's a potential surplus. Cleveland wants outfielders. The Jays have a surplus of outfielders. I mean, there is a potential match there. And whether that leads anywhere is another question because it might not... Either side could look at this and say, yeah, it's just not a fit. It just doesn't quite add up. And they're both very valuation-oriented and very disciplined in the way that they look at things. But on paper, there's a possible structure there that you could look at with Kirk or Jansen plus a Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who makes very little money as we've talked about extensively and maybe something else. And does that
0: get a conversation started because that would address the Jays biggest positional need? Yeah. And I mean, you look at those big names we're going to be hearing about all winter until something happens with them. Jose Ramirez, Kettle Marte, Mania, Castillo. I mean, these are going to be some of the big names on the trade market. The Blue Jays obviously need to be setting their sights on those guys need to be involved in those discussions. But that that doesn't mean they need to block themselves off from doing something maybe not quite as splashy. But that could be just as impactful. I think there will be plenty of kind of, you know, middle tier moves to make on this trade market as well. Like you look at the Miami Marlins as an organization with a ton of young starting pitcher and starting pitching. And they've kind of talked about how like, yeah, maybe that's an area of surplus that we could deal from. Um, It's amazing to be in a position as an organization with so much good young starting pitching that you can look at it as, you know, expendable in any way. Um, but the Marlins need catching depth just like Cleveland does. They need catchers. So obviously you mentioned the catchers the Blue Jays have to offer. And with Miami, like I I can't imagine that they would talk about like uh, you know, an Alcantara or a Rogers. Um, but what about like an Elisir Hernandez? You know, like there, there are still, you know, really good names in that organization, you know, beyond kind of the marquee guys I wrote about this year, Hernandez three weeks ago as well as a guy the Blue Jays should be targeting also wrote about Merrill Kelly as a guy the Blue Jays could target with the Arizona Diamondbacks I mean Arizona's not gonna win next year and they've got one more year left on Kelly I think at, like you know I think it's right around that 10 million dollar range that, that Wade Miley was was making or it actually might be like it might be like five or six million like it's super super cheap for a guy who's been very dependable. Like I said, not a sexy name, not you know, a splashy name, but a guy who could be available and a guy who would fill a rotation hole, help you towards the back end, give you that cost efficiency I was talking about while you go out and spend big on whatever Kershaw, Ray, Verlander, whoever, like a big name to fill that rotation hole at the top of your staff. You could look towards the bullpen as well. I wrote about Chad Cool. A number of weeks ago from the Pittsburgh Pirates is a guy who, you know, looks like his future in Pittsburgh is somewhat in question, didn't have the season he would have liked to as a starter, has really premium big league stuff. And he's a year from free agency. He's already started to make that transition to the bullpen, I wondered if he was a guy who uh, maybe the Blue Jays could target as, as a relief option and somebody who they could use in a, in a late inning role, give him a full spring training to like get used to that transition, get used to the role, figure out who he is as a reliever and how his stuff works most effectively. Obviously sell them on working with Pete Walker and Matt Bushman, some of the uh, life that they've gotten out of you know similar pitchers who are in his position and say, hey, come here, have a great year with us pitching out of our bullpen great platform year into free agency you can go make a whole bunch of money as a high leverage reliever like i think that some of those under the radar options could really be good alternatives for the blue jays as well as the obvious ramirez's and kettle martes of this world right and you know maybe there's a way to in the course of this
1: offseason which you know the pacing is going to be it's going to be really different it's going to be really probably disjointed because you'll have this month of november where we can actually have baseball talk and we can actually talk about potential trades and the qualifying offers kind of drive the market, then there's probably going to be a pause, probably going to be a lockout for two months. And then it'll resume again with this flurry in February. So, you know, within that, though, there's a possibility in that first kind of chunk of the offseason that we're now in the midst of for a team like the Blue Jays to potentially acquire one of those more back-end options that you're talking about here, someone who could be a bounce-back candidate where you're going to need two starters if you're the Blue Jays. And as long as you're still talking to Robbie Ray and you have your Kevin Gosman's out there and these top line starters, well, okay, you can keep that door open. It might take a while to see where all that leads. And in the meantime, you can fill one of those two spots knowing that it's not going to close anything off. And I think that the Jays' interest in Heaney and Mats kind of reflects, and I'm sure they're doing this on the trade front as well, but it reflects a willingness to move relatively soon to address at least one of those rotation spots.
0: Yeah, you just can't expect that a Gosman or a Ray or a Simeon is going to come off the board anytime soon when you have so much work to get done. If you can find a tidy piece of work to do, you're going to do it. I mean, you look at how much of this market Scott Boris controls, and what do we know about Scott Boris? His players don't sign until uber late. Like, they hold that leverage forever often into spring training like into camps already in full swing and uh and and players are are still waiting and still you know holding out for for their value like like ben if you're the blue jays like you're obviously meeting with scott boris possibly this week at some point because you're going to be interested in his clients there's no more quote-unquote blue flu. There's none of that. Like you're you're willing to engage with them. Like, what do you think that meeting actually looks like? Like, what are those discussions like? Because there are so many names that you're going to be discussing with Scott Boris. So obviously, like the Blue Jays hold some cards here and being a team that can like spend and pay for his premium talent. But Scott Boris holds quite a bit of leverage as well, just because he controls so much of the market. Oh, yeah.
1: And this is where, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, uh, it makes sense to have that relationship with Scott Boris. And, you know, it's one that they've seemed to have developed pretty well in the last couple of years with a deal with Ryu and signing Austin Martin as a first rounder. So, you know, I, I think in those meetings, my sense is that teams and, and agents will discuss almost the entire client list of that agent. Like if you're sitting down with Scott Boris, you're going to do it, as you say, completely agree that's a high priority. Like it might be, you know, a top two or three, you know, meeting that they need to be bumping other meetings for to make sure that, you know, in this case, that's probably is it. Joe Sheehan and, and Ross Atkins. And they've got other front office members here as well, joining uh, the GM here at the GM meetings. But you have to make sure that you are making that meeting happen. And, and my sense is that Scott Boris runs through his clients and he, he says, hey. Here's what we got on Scherzer. Here's what he's looking for. Brian, Conforto, you've got Castellanos, you've got Carlos Rodon, you've got Corey Seager, of course, Marcus Semyon. And you're not going to schedule separate meetings for each one of those guys. It's not like you're going to do a Zoom with Scott Boris on Monday regarding Marcus Semyon and then meet him in person on Tuesday to talk about Nick Castellanos. You're going to do it all at once. So in that sense, is that the Blue Jays expressing interest in all of those guys (laughs) at once? I mean, I guess it is, right? But... Until that kind of gains some traction, until that kind of gets off the ground, then that interest is is preliminary, sincere, I think, but preliminary, and then we'll see where it goes.
0: Well, and my my understanding of like a Scott Boris meeting is that it is not a short meeting, right? And that there is a lot of presentations, even like there is a lot of data brought to the table by Scott Boris. Like there is quite a bit of information that he is throwing at the team like he is you know like he he has a very clear like narrative like a very clear um you know i don't know mission i guess or goal in that meeting you know there is something he's trying to get across so i think that just from what i've heard of of what it's like in those meetings with him is that it can actually be like quite intense and like quite a lot of like very fast moving information and and negotiation
1: yeah, it's, it's interesting. And each agent has their own style. Boris, of course, has a style of his own. But, you know, in talking to other agents here, like it's it's interesting, even in the in the course of, let's say, the last 10 years, how much more agents now just talk without any hesitation. Like it's totally fluid. And they talk about ex-WOBA and they talk about his expected um, home runs or he, he should have hit more home runs or, you know, his his sprint speed was this. Like it is just, they assume that you know what they're talking about and this is, This is the way they talk to teams as well, because that's what teams talk about. And so the agents have to speak that language. If you're sitting there talking about, you know, just your innings pitched and your ERA. Well, that's not really how the Los Angeles Dodgers work. So you probably need to adjust the way that you speak. And I find that kind of interesting, too.
0: Yeah, he can't be the agent coming in and saying, oh, well, he had like 120 ribbies. So no. yeah, he's he's great. Just as we wrap up, is there like we've talked about a lot of the big names, obviously, like, is there anything kind of off the beaten path that, that you've come across there that you've heard could be a big name as well? But is there something that maybe you, you want to shed a little bit of a spotlight on that, that you've gleaned this week at, at the GM meetings that maybe hasn't been a, a very big story to this point? I got two little things here. So, and I, I don't think
1: either one will surprise you and probably won't surprise a lot of our listeners, but maybe it's worth touching on at least. So, one, Gabriel Moreno obviously having an incredible season, incredible year, just hitting the cover off the ball in the Arizona Fall League. And he's someone who's, who Ross Atkins is talking about a lot. And just, you know, this is a lot of it outside, you know, media questions directed toward Ross Atkins at the GM meetings, but he was saying that this is a player that he gets asked about a lot, whether it's from, you know, just in casual conversation. I don't mean that teams are necessarily trying to acquire him, that's probably not going to end well for that other team. I think he's basically (laughs) untouchable for the Jays, but that's been, you know, a topic here, um, which I'm sure doesn't surprise you.
0: Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I suppose you just look at every night at the Arizona Fall League. Like it's a like it's a highlight show with him. It's unbelievable. It's been on the forty man for a couple of years now. Uh, Touch AAA. A. At the end of the season, um, obviously, I think some of that was just like making up for lost time. Like I think some of the fall league too is making up for lost time with him. Um, and I think he might actually continue on to play in winter league after this just to get some some more reps. Because obviously, he had that injury mid season when he was just torching double A and that kind of set him back a little bit. So I think he's, the Blue Jays just getting him as much experience out of this season as they can. But I mean, he's going to be right there. Like he's a triple A ball player out of spring training Next year, unless like something crazy happens and he makes the team, it's not out of the question, but like most likely he's a A player out of spring training. And then he's right on the doorstep, man. And he's like, we we've seen like, if you, if he's going nuts in, in A and the Blue Jays have an opening in the big leagues, he's on the 40. I don't think he's that far off from yep. the big leagues. Really? Like, I think he's pretty damn close, man. And what's really interesting is him when he was rehabbing the injury at the player development complex in Florida, taking some reps at third base and then starting to see it in game a little bit. I don't know that he's going to be an everyday third baseman for anyone, but if he can be that like Russell Martin type, who is like the catcher and third baseman, boy, does that unlock some things for your roster and does that open up some possibilities? So there's like some very intriguing stuff happening with Gabe Moreno. And as things stand right now today, there's a very good chance that he's wearing a Blue Jays uniform at some point in 2022.
1: Yeah, let's hope so. He'll be really fun to watch. Um, and and the other thing I'll just kind of mention here is my sense is that the Jays are actually in a good spot, like in a better spot than they were this time last winter for a couple of reasons. One, they won 91 games. So that I think truly helps them. And I've been told that some... Free agents have actually approached the Jays. Like prominent free agents have have initiated that conversation, expressed, hey, like, you know, keep us in mind um as you're going through your offseason. So you like to see that. That can only help. In addition to that, there's certainty, or you know, at least more certainty as to where they're playing, which helps and it kind of eliminates one question that potential free agents would have. And then beyond that, too, I had someone here mentioned to me go out of their way to mention to me the player development complex and you know if it's coming from mark shapiro then okay we understand this is something that he believes in he's talking it up but if someone who's just totally independent of the blue jays is talking about the impact that that's had then you know you start to think maybe this is making some some i don't want to say waves but people are noticing and appreciating it within the industry and so i think those three things you know winning having some certainty about where they're playing player development complex i think it puts them in a better spot and look that doesn't win them a single game it doesn't get them a single rbi or strikeout or any of that stuff until you actually use it to acquire better players and to develop better players but you'd rather be in that position than
0: not here's the thing like players talk to each other Right, so uh, you know, and I think now more so than ever, I think the bonds between players are, are stronger because they've all come up through, whatever it is, these elite travel ball teams and academies, or you know, like you, you see it, like all, a lot of the you know Dominican guys are all hanging out together when when they go you know when they go back home for the winter, like they're training together. Like I was talking to a Blue Jays player who's been working out at the PDC this off season. And like, he was telling me about like, you know, telling some of his like buddies that who have the same agent as him when they, you know, had a recent little kind of like gathering they went, you know, everybody went golfing and they, he was talking at the PDC to them. He's talking at the PDC to me. And, uh, you know, trashing the Bobby Maddox Center pretty pretty thoroughly yeah. uh, because look, the Bobby Maddox Center was like below the standard of a lot of high schools in in the United States. I mean, it was 30 of 30, and now the Blue Jays are one of 30 when it comes to a. Uh, we don't even call them spring training complexes anymore, right? A, a player development. Complex and, and a place that has every amenity and everything that you need to get better and to work out. And there is like a very solid contingent of Blue Jays players down there this winter working out at the PDC. Like, you know, Jordan Romano's there, Baraki's there, uh, Thomas Hatch is there, Nate Pearson is there. Like, there are a lot of guys down there working out this winter so like that word just like gets around the league so players are going to start to understand like oh yeah hey the Blue Jays have some like really good resources and facilities that I'm going to be able to use like you think about what's important to a player in free agency and I would say it's like three primary things money location and chance to win right Blue Jays have money to offer money to spend they've proven it each of the last two winters and they've talked about spending money again This offseason, they have a chance to win. You have the proof of concept last year with 91 wins with a young core with something that looks sustainable. It's not like a, oh, are the Giants going to be this good again next year? Like there aren't that many, you know, it's not a veteran roster. It's a young team that should be together and should be competitive for many years to come so they have that like the one question I think for a lot of guys will just be location and as you said they, they settled some of it where it's we're going to be in Toronto next year there shouldn't be any question about that you're not going to have to deal with three homes I do think there are still some players who have the hesitancy with playing in a foreign country, with coming to Canada. And I think there are some players who prefer spring training in Arizona a lot more than spring training in Florida is a big one. There's some guys who just want to be on the West Coast, and there's some... Teams that are going to win with a lot of money to spend on the West Coast as well. So there's some other options there. But the Blue Jays have just kind of like steadily checked some more boxes that would appeal to free agents. So as you kind of allude to, I'm not that surprised to hear that the Blue Jays are more of an attractive destination this winter because they've just they've they've checked more of those boxes progressively over the last several years. Yeah, of course. And I know you've seen that kind of firsthand
1: as that's developed and now they're in a position where they can actually use that to their advantage now. Okay, if you use that to sign this offseason's Kendrick Morales and Tanner Roark, (laughs) then it doesn't really do you much good. Great, (laughs) those guys want to sign with you. Well, you have to sign the right players. You have to sign the players that are going to help you win. And that's where it comes down to player evaluation. And, you know, it's not just the recruitment aspect. You have to successfully identify the guys who are going to help you win games. And so they have to do that. That is never easy. It went very well for them last offseason when they signed Ray and Semyon and Springer. But it doesn't always go that well, and the stakes are very high when you're talking about the kind of dollars that the Blue Jays are in a position to spend. So they got to get it right, and that's what the next couple months
0: are about. No doubt there will be much to talk about over those next couple of months as the uh, the offseason proceeds and then maybe around December 1st takes a bit of a pause and then hopefully picks up steam not too long after that with a new CBA and some momentum moving uh, forward to spring training 2022 which hopefully will begin on time right around Valentine's Day 2022 fingers crossed that that's what's going to happen but we're going to step away he's Ben Nicholson Smith he's on Twitter at b Nicholson Smith read everything he is producing from the GM meetings at sportsnet.ca. My name is Arden Zwelling. Our producer is Christian Ryan. Thanks as always for his help and to Nick Andrade as well. On the video side, thank you, Nick. And thank you, uh, everyone for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.